Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Miss Saye Show. Today, I have a very special guest who I have so many questions for, Dr. Feeney. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure thank to be here. You. Oh, thank you so much. I know you have been busy, and I'm so glad that we finally have you on the show. Um, you know, we have been excited to ask you questions about neurofeedback. In a simple terms, if you want to educate us, what is neurofeedback? Okay. Neurofeedback therapy is a process by which a person and a therapist use technology and types of biofeedback, um, EEG biofeedback specifically, to help a person achieve a restorative relaxation status. So from a relaxed state of being, you can do all sorts of things to rebalance your, um, your, the communication in your brain, um, so you can teach yourself to be calmer as a general rule. You can learn to teach yourself to be more focused, more motivated. You can teach yourself to, um, bring down anxiety or reduce panic attacks. It has lots and lots of clinical applications. Well, that's incredible. So it, it can help you in various area. Um, is this something like, uh, that a, a person comes to you and says, well, I would like to be relaxed or I would like to be motivated and push this button in my brain so I can be motivated. I don't have much time. Is that how it works? Or do it's you not quite that simple. It takes a little more time to, you know, train states of being that you want to keep for long periods of time. So you can achieve a relaxed state, you know, probably in one or two sessions. But really, it's a process of teaching yourself to get there and then learning how to keep that state in the long term. So the first few sessions, we kind of teach you how to do it. And then you basically have to learn how to train yourself to get to that place. And once you get to a place where it's permanent, then, you know, you've made basically permanent changes in your brain. You get to keep the new, the new you moving forward. Interesting. So let me ask you if I'm understanding you correctly. So when we come see you and this, like, I want to be more relaxed and you teach that with, with your tools, with the little sticky things you put in the head, uh, you teach my brain, this is how state of relaxation feels like. This is what it is. And then my body recognize or my brain recognize, okay, this is how it's supposed to feel. So after a few sessions without coming to you, I would know how to get there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's usually after quite a few sessions, but the, the basic gist of it is, so we're using your own body's measurements to give you real time information on your screen to show you what you're doing. So for example, I have like a little ear clip. I can put an ear clip on your earlobe and it'll measure heart rate variability. And so it'll put that information on your screen and so you do the breathing exercises and you follow the balls, it slowly goes up and down. And you can see in real time how your heart rate variability changes for the better. And at the end of the, the exercise, people feel much more relaxed. They can feel a noticeable difference in um, you know, just how they feel overall. So, so that's like a warm-up exercise to kind of get you into a good frame of mind to do the neurofeedback. Um, neurofeedback involves using brain waves, um, you know, so you put little, little sticky electrodes so we can listen to your brain, like I'm holding a teeny tiny microphone up to your scalp so I can, you know, listen to what those little brain waves are saying. And if they're anxious brain waves, then I want to teach them how to let some of that go. And if they're 
distracted unfocused brain waves. I'm gonna teach them how to focus a little bit better so we can rebalance things or teach you how to rebalance things. Um, so it's a new and more functional way of existing. That, that's incredible. And how, how long neurofeedback has been around? It's been around for clinical populations about 40 years, believe it or not. So it was first developed uh, Barry Sturman, sorry, Barry Sturman developed this using cats actually in the 1960s. So it was kind of one of those happy scientific accidents where something funny happened and they said, now wait a minute, why did this happen? Why were those cats able to resist seizures? Because we were trying to do seizures here and the cats were resistant. So they had to go back and look at what previous previous experiments the cats had been in and they had been doing um, biofeedback. So, so from there, um, he extrapolated that to say, well, can we use this to help patients, like human patients, people with seizure disorders or anxiety disorders? And it turns out you can. And so that's, that's how it was born. And it took a while for it to, you know, get to the place where, you know, you're shifting from an animal model to a human model, but, um, but we're there. And we, we've had it for a good 40 years now. That's incredible. I didn't know that story. What's the difference between a neurofeedback and a biofeedback? So neurofeedback is biofeedback. It's just the different types of biometric um, measuring that you're doing. So with neurofeedback, we're using EEG measurements, which is, you know, brain waves. So you have to stick it right on your scalp so you can listen to those brain waves. Um, heart rate variability biofeedback is another type where, like, where you just put the ear clip on your ear and it measures um, heart rate variability through your ear. There's um, galvanic skin response biofeedback. There's um, uh, skin temperature biofeedback. There's an, a bunch of different ones. And depending on what your goal is, um, different providers have found um, different you know, utilities with each one. Interesting. What it, what it, um, I'm very much intrigued by your line of work. Yeah, um, it's a fascinating line of work. It keeps me interested, and I always am educating myself more to learn more about it. Is it advancing fairly quickly, yearly? How is it? The advancement of the... Yes, the they're making scientific advancements quicker than I can keep up, that's for sure. So oh, there are people good. on the leading edge of you know, research and development. And um, I'm more on the clinical side. I get to benefit from these years and years of hard work that these researchers are putting in. Um, so I'm benefiting in that I can deliver this to patients, but they're, they're uh, working away hard in the labs to, to bring this to us. Oh, that is wonderful. Who are the best candidate or who can benefit from neurofeedback? So just about anybody can benefit from neurofeedback depending on what the presenting issues are. So some people, I would say that the best candidate is somebody who knows that they have something that they want to improve and they're willing to work hard over time to achieve that. So this is not really for the person who's looking for a quick fix or hand me a pill, I'm going to swallow this and I'll feel better for a minute. This is something more for the people who want a long-term effect and who are willing to put the time and effort into training themselves to operate differently. Uh, and that takes some work. It takes some patience and it's frustrating in the beginning. So a person has to have a certain level of frustration tolerance and 
a willingness to keep, keep coming back week after week until you get those results. So there's always the potential that life can happen. Um, you know, an insult to the brain is going to have an effect. Absolutely. But um, you may not start all the way back to where you were when you first came in. Um, so neurofeedback can pro provide some protective measures against some types of insults to the brain, but for really serious stuff like, you know, strokes and brain injuries and things like that, um, there's just no guarantee against that kind of life happening to your brain. Um, but in general, once a person has done the work to train the brain to operate more efficiently, and the new patterns are permanent, right? We, they come in and the, the new patterns are stable. Um, chances are those results will last for years or decades. Sometimes people come in and they want like a tune-up or, you know, I, I, I've dipped down into my old anxiety again and it just takes a, usually a couple sessions to get them back to where they were before. So it's, I wouldn't say it's 100% permanent, but um, it does have long lasting effects. And for some people, they just do one course and then they feel like they're good to go. Quantitative electroencephalogram. You, know, you put the cap with all the electrodes on your head and you measure it with eyes closed and eyes open. And then com the computer runs an analysis on all that data. And so then it can tell us, well, you know, at F7, we've got too much delta. Maybe it's two hertz or three hertz. And, you know, we see these seizure spikes. And so it says, all right, well, to, to help balance that out, we need to, you know, train... 13 hertz up and train two hertz down. And once the brain learns that new pattern, it can unlearn a seizure pattern, which is amazing <laughs> because then your brain is more seizure resistant. And I won't say it's like seizure proof because that's just not possible, but it is more seizure resistant. So there's a higher threshold <laughs> for seizures, which is really nice. It's probably possible to do it with dogs, but I don't know how to do that in a clinical setting, right? Maybe in laboratory animals, that's possible. I, I'm not sure how we'd make that work for pets. And Maybe someone out there can develop it. That's a really great question. It's so important. So normalizing mental health treatment needs to happen at several different levels. So we have the micro level where say you're in conversation with a friend and the friend is going through something difficult and you recommend with all sincerity and honesty, you know, a therapist might be able to help you get through this time. This sounds really hard for you. Right. Right. Um, and then at the macro level too. So we need good policy. We need um, accessibility to mental health. A lot of the problems with mental health care is that it's not accessible to many, many people in this country. Right. So it's too expensive or insurance won't reimburse it or, you know, there's these high deductible plans and it's really hard to access for some people. So to make it widely accessible for everybody who needs it from an early age on, I think can help to destigmatize it from childhood on because, you know, so many of the people that I see there are well, I don't see them because they don't come to my office, but I hear about people who have stigmas, you know, regarding mental health care. And it simply was not accessible. It was not available to them when they could have used it the most. And so people just learned to deal without it and limp along, and that became their normal. So if it's accessible to everybody when they need it, 
it makes a world of difference. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I do hear some feedback too, but I hope it's going to go away. But I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really hope that we can have you again because I have so many questions, but the time is limited. So thanks again for being on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Feeney. You're very welcome. Thank you, Ms. Sai.